Man, good morning, friends. Uh, Jonathan mentioned in his prayer that my mom passed away yesterday. Uh, I am deeply grateful for the prayers of this congregation. My family is deeply grateful for them. We have felt ourselves sustained by them, uh, strengthened by them, and I'm praying for God's mercy and grace that we're going to get to hear about this morning uh, to be shown to my parents and, and, and the rest of my family, to my, uh, to my dad and to, to my sisters as well. So I just want to say thank you uh, for your prayers. Uh, uh, we are deeply appreciative of them. Leah asked me yesterday, she said, do you, do you, want, to, do you want to preach today? Like, do you think you can preach? And uh, in, in one sense, I was just like, no, I, I don't want to. Uh, but in another sense, this is the only place that I would want to be, and, and to have the opportunity to preach the gospel of life in the wake of death is a great privilege. And so I'm looking forward to doing that with you this morning as we hear from God's word. So uh, let's pray again briefly, and we'll look at God's word together. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your giving of the Holy Spirit to inspire the prophets and the authors of the Old Testament to speak of the Lord Jesus Christ before his coming. We are deeply grateful for your giving of the Spirit to the authors of the New Testament to explain and reflect on the work of Christ in his coming. And we are so grateful that you have allowed us to see Jesus in our day. By your Spirit, give us understanding. Open our eyes to behold the power and glory of your plan of redemption as it's fulfilled in him. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, friends, I want to invite you to go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're working our way slowly through chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 10 to 12 this morning. If you're using one of the Bibles that we provided, you'll find our passage on page 1014. And if you don't own a copy of the Bible for yourself, we want to encourage you to take the copy that we provided as a gift from us to you. And as always, I want to encourage you not only to open to the passage as I uh, read through it so that you can follow along when I read through it in a moment, but I want to encourage you to keep it open in front of you as we're going to look back often at it throughout our time together, even in just the, the, those three verses. We're going to be looking at it often. The first nine verses of chapter one are tied together by a single theme, and that theme is that believers have experienced a glorious salvation. That's what we've seen throughout chapter one thus far. And because of how glorious our salvation is, Peter wants us to know just how privileged we are to have experienced it. And that's really the main point that he makes in verses 10 to 12, our passage this morning. So I'm going to go ahead and read those verses for us, and then we'll look more closely at them. 
want you to follow along with me as I read. This is God's word. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. If you're taking notes, the main thing that God wants you to know from this passage is that you are ridiculously privileged to live when the predictions of the prophets have come true. You and I are ridiculously privileged to live when the predictions of the prophets have come true. And there are three aspects to that ridiculous privilege that we have that I want us to consider in our time together that I think come right out of our verses. First, if you're taking notes, these will be my three points, the three headings for the rest of our time. First, we're privileged to experience God's grace. Second, we're privileged to understand God's redemption. And third and finally, we're privileged to hear God's gospel. My hope is that this time will help us cultivate an awe-filled way of living appropriate for new covenant believers. Because I think that's what Peter's trying to do here. I think he's trying to get these Christians to see, not that they like, really needed it, they didn't have to be beat over the head, but he's trying to get them to see what you have experienced is unbelievable, and not everyone in human history has experienced what you have experienced. You have been given a ridiculous privilege to live at the time when the predictions of the prophets have come true. So first, I want us to consider that we're privileged to experience God's grace. Look again with me at verse 10. Notice what Peter says. Concerning this salvation, that's the salvation he's been talking about all of chapter 1, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. I want to get the attention of the kids real quick. Kids, can any of you name for me any of the prophets that Peter is referring to? Just raise your hand if you have one. We'll go over here to Abram. Isaiah, that's, a, that's one of the prophets right up front. Elijah was a prophet, that's right. Elijah, any, any other prophets? Elijah, he's got Elijah and you've got Elisha. You guys have covered both of them, right? We'll see if there's anyone other. Then we'll go back to you, Abram. We got one back here. Jeremiah. And then back here, Hannah. Who are you thinking of? Somebody yell it out to me. Jonah swallowed by a whale. That Jonah, disobedient prophet, but was shown grace by God. Over here. Moses was a prophet. Well done. And we're looking forward to a prophet like Moses who would come. 
other prophets right here in the middle? Zephaniah, the one who predicts when God will sing over his people and quiet them with his love. Elijah, speaking of Elijah. Habakkuk, yes, you guys are knocking them down. You got, I'm not going to try to name all of them. I've got a song memorized. I was going to sing it this morning. If you've listened to Slugs and Bugs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Joel, Amos, Obadiah, da-da, da-da-da, da-da, because I always forget the names. They just start getting mixed up in there. But those are the prophets who prophesied about God's coming salvation. They prophesied about a salvation from God that was coming in the future. These prophets were men who had a unique relationship to God in that they heard directly from God and they had a unique mission from God. They were to bring God's word to God's people. And God gave them two types of messages, broadly speaking. He gave them messages interpreting the current events that they were experiencing. This is why you were experiencing what you're experiencing. This is what God says. And he gave them messages predicting his coming salvation. That is, they prophesied about a salvation from God that was coming in the future. And in verse 10... Peter is referring to those sections of their sermons where they predicted God's coming salvation. And notice, when they prophesied about this coming salvation, they were prophesying about the grace that was to be yours. They prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. They prophesied about a day when God would relate to his people on a fundamentally different basis than he had in the old covenant under which these prophets lived. I want you to track with me. The old covenant, broadly speaking, we're talking big picture here. The old covenant, broadly speaking, was not marked by grace, but was a gigantic system of works-based righteousness to receive blessings from God a person had to obey God, and this is summarized so clearly in passages like Leviticus 18, verse 5, where God says, you shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. In the old covenant, life comes to those who obey God's law, and death comes to those who disobey God's law. There's a major problem with this, though. Since sin had come into the world and been passed down to all mankind, none of the Israelites, including the prophets, were able to perfectly obey the law, which meant that all of them deserved death under the law. Can you imagine living within a system? Forget everything you know about Christianity and the New Testament. Pretend, if you can, that it doesn't exist and there is no Savior named Jesus. And you live in a nation within a system in which your well-being depends on your ability to obey God. But you don't have the ability to obey God as you should. Even with God's kindness in allowing sacrifices to be offered to remain in right relationship with Him, you would always always have God's law following you around, condemning you, shouting at you, unclean, unclean, acting as a mirror to show you all the ways that you had fallen short without 
giving you the power to obey those laws. And yet, that is a central reason why God instituted the law in the Old Covenant in the first place. It was to convince the nation of Israel of their guilt and show them their need for a Savior. It was to show them and all the nations on earth that as long as a covenant was in place that was based on our works, we would never experience the ultimate blessing from God because all of us have fallen short of His holy standard. What we need, what all humanity needed, was a better covenant. A covenant that was not based on our works, but based on God's grace. Humanity needed, humanity needed a new covenant, and a new covenant is exactly what God has established in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ was able to establish the new and gracious covenant because he alone has perfectly fulfilled the old covenant on our behalf. I want you to remember that the essence of the old covenant was whoever obeys will receive the blessing of life and whoever disobeys will receive the curse of death. And Jesus Christ has done both of those for us. This is what Jesus meant when he said, I came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Jesus secures the blessings we could never earn because he alone lived the perfect life obeying all of God's commands and he bore the curse that we deserve by dying in our place on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Friends, do you see what God has done in the new covenant? God, in his astounding grace, saw that we were unable to keep the law because of our bondage to sin. He saw that we were destined for death and judgment, and out of the infinite wellspring of his love for us, he took on flesh and became a man. Some people look at Jesus Christ as though he was this innocent bystander that God just kind of wrangled into his plan of redemption, and then he had to like bear the punishment for us. So Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, looked down on us and said, I am going to keep the law for them. I am going to die the death they deserve out of my love for them, out of the riches of my grace for them. He himself kept the demands of the law that we couldn't keep and himself bore the curses that we deserve so that all who trust in him would, be, would experience the riches of his grace. Friends, we are privileged because we live in the age of grace from God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The prophets lived under a covenant marked by bondage to sin. But we experience freedom from sin. Theirs was a covenant marked by death. Ours a covenant marked by life and life to the fullest. Theirs was marked by not being able to come into God's presence. Ours is marked by full access to God's presence. Theirs had high priests who died. We have a high priest who always lives. Theirs required 
constant sacrifices. Ours is based on a sacrifice offered once for all. Theirs is the law written on tablets of stone. Ours has the law written on the tablets of our hearts. The blessings that God has bestowed upon us in the new covenant are of inestimable value. And all of them, every single one of them are the result of God's grace to you and me. We did not earn them. We do not deserve them. But God, out of the riches of his glorious grace, poured out his grace on us in such a lavish way that the prophets of old longed to experience what we have experienced. Isaiah longed to experience the day of God's grace that he prophesied about when he said, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Have you ever asked the question, how can you buy wine and milk without money? You can't. Unless someone pays the price for you so that you can enjoy them. That is what Jesus has done for us. We were thirsty and starving, in need of the food and drink that only God could provide, but the cost of God's nourishment was far too expensive for us. We did not have enough money to purchase it. So Jesus, out of the abundance of his love, out of his divine condescension and love for sinners, out of his mercy and grace, paid the price for us so that we might be welcome to feed at the banquet table of God's grace forever. Friends, we are ridiculously blessed to have experienced God's grace in Jesus Christ. Are we not? The prophets longed to experience what you and I have experienced if we've trusted in Jesus. Millions of Israelites over the course of a thousand plus years longed for the day when God would relate to them on the basis of his grace rather than on the basis of their works, and they never saw that day. Widen the scope outside of the nation of Israel and think of the millions and millions of people who never heard of God's grace or never experienced God's grace, and yet you and I have experienced it. Of all the people on earth, we should be filled with gratitude. All filled gratitude, right? Kids, I want to ask you guys another question. How many of you, I'm going to need you to be transparent here, and be willing to admit something that maybe your parents look down upon, but I think you can do it. How many of you have ever complained about the food that your parents feed you? Raise your hand. Just so you know, all the parents in here, when we were your size, we also complained about the food. Sayings, and, and, and how do your parents respond to you when you complain about the food that you get? Do you know? Do you have any idea how many kids on earth don't have the food that you have and, and are going without food, all of, which is, all of which is true, right? This happened this past uh, last week at, at, at our house. One of my kids complained about a piece of fat in their steak. 
And I said, you are eating grass-fed ribeye. And you're complaining about the fat. Totally shame-based parenting. Do not emulate me. It's, terrible. it's a terrible way to parent. But there is something true in it. You have so many good things to be thankful for. You have been given so much. When you think about all the other people on earth who don't have what you have, how, how grateful should you be? And yet, I condemn myself because I walk around the house complaining and frustrated about all the different things going on in my life and how hard of life is and how much I'm suffering and the different trials we're experiencing. And God is like, grace, John, grace, grace has been given to you without measure in Jesus Christ. And I'm like, ah, I should be so thankful. We of all people should be overflowing with gratitude that God has allowed us to experience his grace. There are so many things that we meditate on related to God's grace in order to cultivate gratitude. I just want to quickly give you two things to think about in the week to come. I want you to first meditate on the fact that because of God's grace, you no longer need to live as though you're trying to earn God's favor. Really difficult for us. By nature, we, we try to earn the favor of God. We, we try to do works. You'll see it come out in your life when you stumble and fall. Maybe you sin. Maybe you just become aware of your own foolishness. Maybe it's just other stuff going on in your life, and you feel like God won't accept me. I, I can't come to God. I can, I, I've got to get myself cleaned up first. That, that is works-based righteousness, when God is saying to you, no, come, please come, come without money to drink at my fountain, come to me. Uh, Dane Ortland says in his book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, helping you is what gets Jesus out of bed in the morning. Now, we, we know that Jesus isn't sleeping in a bed, he's seated at the right hand, but it shows his heart for you. He came to save sinners. Not that you might then save yourself, but then you could always come to him to receive his grace. We no longer need to live as though we're trying to earn God's favor. Second, when we stumble and fall, which we will continue to do as Christians, we should also meditate on the fact that because of God's grace, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The condemnation reserved for those who failed to keep the law fell on Jesus Christ. There is no more punishment for you, no more wrath of God for you outside of Jesus Christ. So that when God tips the cup of his condemnation, no liquid spills out for God's people. Jesus drank it all to the dregs on the cross. And God isn't going to be guilty of Double jeopardy, charging us guilty for crimes that Jesus has already made us innocent for. The prophesied, the prophets prophesied about the grace that was to be ours. We are privileged to experience God's grace. Second, we're privileged to understand God's plan of redemption. Look again with me at verse 10. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. I want you to notice the prophet's attitude 
towards God's plan of redemption as revealed in Scripture. They searched and inquired carefully. Notice even the repetition of words, searched, inquired, inquiring. They gave themselves to pouring over the Scriptures, reading the Scriptures, seeking, cross-checking, reading more, praying more, ardently seeking to understand God's plan of redemption. And they gave themselves to searching and inquiring because, Peter says, they wanted to know the person or time. Basically, they wanted to understand how all of the various prophecies of a suffering Messiah and a royal ruling and reigning Messiah fit together. They wanted to understand how David's prophecy from Psalm 22 would come true, how a man whose bones are out of joint whose garments are divided and whose hands and feet are pierced, how that same man would then, after all of that happens, claim that God has rescued him from his enemies and then sings praises to God for his great deliverance. They wanted to know how Isaiah's prophecy from Isaiah 53 would come true of a suffering servant who is led like a lamb to the slaughter as a sacrifice for our sins, but then... In Isaiah 53, according to Isaiah, after being buried, this same servant would see his offspring and prolong his days, and in whose hands the will of the Lord would prosper. They searched and inquired carefully because they wanted to know. They wanted to know the Messiah and his work. They wanted to know the lion from the tribe of Judah and the lamb who would be slain for their sins. They wanted to know the one who was high and lifted up and exalted in Isaiah and the one who rode into Jerusalem on a donkey from Zechariah. They wanted to know the son of man coming on the clouds with all authority from Daniel and the king who would be born in the tiny town of Bethlehem from Micah. They searched and inquired carefully. And the prophets weren't the only ones. Look at the very end of verse 12. Peter just drops this in there like, this is no big deal, I'm just going to say this and keep moving. Even the angels long to look into these things. Like, what? What does that even mean? Even angels long to understand God's plan of redemption more fully? Like, how is that possible? They live in the presence of the, the one who was slain. They live in the presence of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Some commentators look back to the construction of the ark. You'll remember the ark had on top of it a mercy seat, and the mercy seat was flanked by what? Two angels with wings covering their eyes. Either they cannot behold the glory of the one who will sit in the mercy seat, or they do not understand completely the redemption of the one who will sit in the mercy seat. Even angels marvel to look into these things. The prophets ardently inquire and the angels marvel, but guess who who God chose to disclose the Messiah to? You and me. Look at verse 12. It was revealed to them, the prophets, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. Must have been a hard day for the prophets when they had that conversation with the Lord. You think about what God said to them, you know, Zechariah, we need to have a conversation. You're going to want to sit down for this one. I know you've been asking me to, you want to know who the Messiah is? 
not going to reveal it to you. You're, you're never going to see him in your day. You are serving people who, who have yet to come. I, I, if I'm one of the prophets, like, what? No, please. No, you are serving people to come later. The spirit revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, me, us. The spirit gave their prophecies in advance so that when Jesus actually came, we would see how he powerfully fulfilled their prophecies of both suffering and glory. Suffering in his death on the cross and glory in his resurrection from the dead and his ascension into heaven, where he's now seated at the right hand of God, reigning, all of all crea- reigning over all of creation, bringing all things under his rule until such a time that all his enemies have been placed under his feet, and then he will return in glory with legions and legions of angels to rescue you and me. In Jesus' incarnation, his death and his resurrection, we see the glorious fulfillment of the prophetic pronouncements of the Messiah's suffering and glory. And you and I, we, we see even more than that. Because Jesus told his disciples and us through his disciples that all of the Old Testament is fulfilled in him. So that when you and I now read the Old Testament, we not only see suffering and glory, we see all of it fulfilled in Jesus. We have the privilege of understanding that he is the seed of the woman. He is the ark who saves us from God's judgment. He is the one in whom all the nations would be blessed. God has given to us understanding that he is the prophet like Moses, Jack Clouser. He is the priest like Aaron and the king like David. We have the privilege of knowing him as the star of Jacob, the bronze serpent in the wilderness, the root of Jesse. We now see in him the wisdom of God, the desire of the nations, and the son of righteousness. He is the one who is high and lifted up and exalted, and who is also Emmanuel, God with us. To us, God has given the great privilege of understanding that his plan of redemption is gloriously fulfilled in Jesus. I don't know how many of you have been guilty of this. I certainly have. When you read the Old Testament prophets, you'll think things like, oh, how I wish I could trade places with Isaiah to encounter God the way that he did. Friend, if you are ever tempted to think about trading places with Isaiah, know that Isaiah wanted to trade places with you. Your experience of God's grace by the power of the Spirit and the fulfillment of the Messiah and the Lord Jesus Christ is far greater than the experience he had. Isaiah wanted to be in your place. They wanted to know what we know. Jesus says the same thing. Matthew 13. Blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For I tell you the truth, many prophets and righteous men longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. And if the prophets who were told that they wouldn't fully understand God's plan of redemption still poured over the scriptures wanting to know the Messiah? How much more should we? How much more should we do the same in light of the fact that we know Jesus? 
and understand what he came to do and how his work of redemption was accomplished. How much more time should we spend pouring over the scriptures and meditating on his glory, his power, his beauty? In the Royal Gallery in Dresden, Germany, this may happen in other museums as well, but there are people who will sit for hours in front of a single masterpiece painting. They do it intentionally. And they're not just thinking about life. They are focused on the painting. In fact, they will spend weeks over the course of a year studying a single work by a Raphael or a someone else like that. One particular individual had calculated in a book that I came across that they had spent years looking at one particular work and yet still found it possible over and over, they said, to discover some new beauty and new joy. If a person can study a single painting for years and continue to discover some new beauty and joy, how much more can we draw out new beauties, new joys, new wisdom, new insights from studying God's work in salvation? I mean, what does Paul say about Jesus? In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You and I will never plumb the depths of God's word. There is always new beauty and joy to be experienced. The coming of Jesus Christ doesn't mean there is less reason to study God's word, but even more. Because in the coming of Jesus Christ, we're now able to see and understand vastly more than the prophets were able to. How many of you remember Sixth Sense? Raise your hand if you've seen Sixth Sense. Yes, you're going to admit to it. Well, not that many people. I'm about to spoil it for all y'all. But it's old, so sorry about that. You're watching it, and you're like, okay, this is a fine movie. Interesting. The counselor's marriage is odd. They'll work it out, I assume. The boy is kind of cute, but also kind of creepy because he sees dead people. Then you get to the end of the movie, and along with the counselor, realize the counselor is one of the dead people that the boy sees, and there's a reason why his wife doesn't talk to him because he's dead, and she, they're no longer together. The boy's been seeing the counselor the whole movie, and it's actually Bruce Willis, he, you're dead. And it it dawns on him, and it dawns on you, and you're just like, what? That changes the entire movie. So what did you do the first time you watched Sixth Sense? You went back and watched it again. And now the second time you watch it, you're like, oh, I should have seen that. Oh, I should have seen that. Oh, that makes sense. Now I get why. Now I know why she's not talking to him. If that happens in the Sixth Sense, how much more does that happen when we read Scripture? The layers of meaning and the richness of depth that come through understanding Christ as the fulfillment of Scripture never end. And it's not just appreciating and learning for the sake of appreciating and learning. Growing in understanding when paired with dependence on God in prayer is how we grow as Christians. That's how we abide in the vine. Friends, if you want to grow in patience, study God's works in Scripture fulfilled in Jesus Christ where you see his divine forbearance played out over the course of thousands of years. If you want to see God's kind, if you want to grow in kindness, in meekness, 
in wisdom, in quietness of soul, in the ability to walk through trials with courage and confidence, in holiness, whatever it may be, that growth will come as you give yourself to the study of God's word on a regular basis. The spirit of God uses the word of God to make us more like God. And this study, if we give ourselves to it, is going to look different depending on where each of us is in the faith, right? For newer Christians or those growing in their familiarity with Scripture, start by committing to read through the entire Bible. Get a feel for the whole thing. To help you along the way, use a study Bible to help answer questions you'll have along the way, or read an introductory book on the person and work of Jesus. If you are one of those people, whether you're a newer Christian or you feel like you you want to really better understand Scripture and you, you don't, I have a gift for you. I have a study Bible to give away. I'm going to leave it up here after church. You can come get it. If you want to better understand Scripture, read through the whole Bible using this, and it will answer questions for you. Or you could read, Who is Jesus? and get a quick tour of what the whole Bible says about Jesus. You're not going to hear everything, but you'll hit the major points. If you're a newer Christian or you're, you really feel like you're, you need to grow kind of in your knowledge of Scripture, come pick up one of these after church. They're free. They're for you. I'm going to leave them. I'm not going to take them with me. If you have moved through that stage, and maybe you're kind of in like, uh, let's say, the high school stage of kind of understanding Scripture, but you want to continue growing, start reading books on biblical theology that trace themes as they unfold throughout Scripture. This will help you see all the different ways that Scripture is fulfilled in Jesus. And I have three great books to give away for that. The Servant King, From Eden to the New Jerusalem, and The Unfolding Mystery. These are all sermons from the Old Testament showing how they are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Amazing book. Continue growing in your understanding of Scripture. Maybe, maybe you've checked that box and you're, you're wanting to continue growing because let's be real, the, the author of Hebrews says, though you should be teachers by now, you, you still need milk and not solid food, right? There's an understanding that we should be growing in the faith. If you've kind of hit that high school level, you made it to the college level or the, the doctorate level, whatever it might be, you can move on to other books. Dive into specific books of Scripture that help go deep in those books to help you understand how that book fits into the broader canon of scripture and how that book is connected to the work of Jesus Christ. And surprise, surprise, I have two books for that. Actually, three. Exodus Old and New by Michael Morales. If you want to study the book of Exodus and how it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ, giving us an exodus out of slavery to sin, read that book. From Adam and Israel to the church. If you want to understand the theme of the church throughout all the scripture, go deeper there. Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? Michael Morales killing it again on the book of Leviticus. What does Psalm 27 say? Who shall ascend the mountain of the Lord? My summary, the one who is perfectly righteous is the one who will ascend the mountain of the Lord. Meaning you and me will never ascend that mountain unless a perfect man comes and does it for us and paves the way for us to come into his presence. Jesus has done it. He unpacks that in this book, all free for you to grow in your knowledge of scripture. Friends, We should search the scriptures to understand them. God gives growth to his people through them. Jesus is beautiful and worthy of our worship and understanding. Let's give ourselves to that. That's point two. Point three, I'm going to try to move quickly here. It's warm. I may be a bit warmer than you because I'm preaching. I'm sweating. And some of you look very warm as well. So I'm going to try to move quickly. Third, we have the privilege of experiencing 
First, we have the privilege of experiencing God's grace. Second, understanding God's redemption. Third, we have the privilege of hearing God's gospel. Look again at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. The predictions by the prophets of the sufferings and glories of the Messiah became the content of the apostolic preaching of the gospel. That's what Peter means there in that verse. The Spirit inspired the prophets to write about the suffering and glory of the Messiah, and after Jesus came, died, rose, and ascended, the apostles picked up those prophecies and began preaching the good news of their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. Like when Peter himself preached on Pentecost about how Jesus fulfilled David's prophecy that God's Holy One would not see corruption from Psalm 16, and how Jesus is the Lord who sits at the right hand of God in Psalm 110, and the stone that the builders rejected from Psalm 118. That message, that good news of the gospel, that God's grace has been extended to mankind through the sufferings and glories of the Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead and ascended to heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God, awaiting the day when he returns to judge the living and the dead, and all who repent of sin and trust in him will be forgiven, saved, and reconciled to God. That good news was preached beginning in Jerusalem and then spread abroad in the world from there. And these Christians in First Peter who were in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia were privileged to hear that good news of how they could be made right with God through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And that good news has not only traveled around the world, but has traveled through time and space, being passed down from generation to generation over the last 2,000 years. And the God who providentially ordered each of our lives, determining the place and time, in which we would live, also providentially ordained all of the circumstances in human history in such a way that you and I have had the privilege of hearing the greatest news to ever grace the earth. Have you ever stopped to consider all the circumstances that had to transpire in the course of your genealogical history to bring about your existence in the first place, let alone your hearing the gospel and being saved? Like one minor change to like one thing on somebody's task list in the course of your entire genealogical history could have meant you didn't exist at all. But God in his providence brought about not only your birth, but through his sovereign wisdom, your new birth as well. I think about a single a single isolated period in my life when I joined the Coast Guard. I wanted to be a rescue swimmer. That's why I joined the Coast Coast Guard. I went to boot camp, and the drill instructors identified me as a potential candidate for the rescue swimming program. Because of that, they told me, don't fill out the dream sheet, which is what everyone does in boot camp in the Coast Guard. They fill out the stations that they want to go to after boot camp is over. They were like, hey, don't fill out a dream sheet because we're going to put in a letter to the detailer and you're going to get stationed here in Cape May for the pre-training program. Like, great. And the detailer, because in all of the shuffling around the entire Coast Guard, needed a position to be filled on a buoy tender. The worst job in the Coast Guard. And because he needed that position filled, 
And because I, of all my classmates in my company, did not fill out a dream sheet, guess who got the bottom of the barrel job? Me. I get sent to Astoria, Oregon, placed on a buoy tender, scraping barnacles off of buoys. I'm just like, what has happened to my life? But what did God do? He also ordered the circumstances of Art Thompson, a skater kid from North California who was wrestling with drugs in his own life, broke free of them, finally got his life in order, joined the Coast Guard. He ended up on the boat at the same exact time and started sharing the gospel with me. It's like cosmic plinko with like a divine overseer making sure that all of these things happen so that everything comes out exactly the way that God intends it. And I in my own life, and you if you've trusted in Jesus, have had that privilege by God's sovereign power ordering the circumstances of your life to hear the same gospel. And that privilege that we've experienced, friends, isn't meant to be kept to ourselves. Right? We aren't supposed to be cul-de-sacs of God's grace, but conduits, highways to other people through which the privilege we've experienced in hearing the gospel is passed along to others by sharing the same gospel with them. And listen, I I don't know about you, but I am preaching this to myself. I am super discouraged with my personal evangelism right now. I would love for you guys to be praying with me because I just, I I don't, I just kind of feel comfortable. It's hard for me to get out of the comfort zone and want to go talk to non-Christians about Jesus because that's going to be hard and they're not going to want to hear and then it's going to feel awkward and then yada, yada, all of the excuses, Right? And I'm just looking at my life, I'm like, no, I have been given an unbelievable privilege. And they are going to get the unbelievable privilege of hearing this good news as well, right? I've gotten to a point where I'm comfortable doing church ministry, not as willing to embrace the discomfort of pursuing people with the gospel. I don't know if that's you. Maybe you're killing it right now. And if you are, awesome. Be praying for us as a congregation. Be praying for me as your pastor that I would learn to love evangelism again the way that I had in the past, right? I'm stoked, really stoked that we're starting campus outreach. I am so excited that we do VBS, Awana, special holiday services, all of those structured opportunities to share the gospel. But I also want to see all of us individually grow in being more and more passionate in sharing the gospel with others in our individual lives. God has used and continues to use the witness of Christians personally sharing their faith to give other people the privilege of experiencing his grace, understanding his redemption, and hearing and sharing his good news with others. If you're here as a Christian and God used somebody outside of your family to share the gospel with you, not as the moment you got saved, but if you can look in your history, the process of you becoming a Christian, and you realize that there was an individual outside of your family who shared the gospel with you, go and raise your hand. Look around. Look at how many people, raise them high if you have your hand up. Look at how many people's lives were affected by other people taking initiative to share the gospel with them so that we might receive that privilege. And now we want to turn and share that privilege with others. If God used others in your life, think about how he can use you in others' lives. And this is where we need to see ourselves in a similar role. I'm, cl- I'm landing the plane here. This is where we need to see our role, ourselves in a similar role to the prophets. They wanted to see Jesus in his day but didn't but they served nonetheless that we might experience the privilege of knowing Jesus. In the same way, you probably want to be alive when Jesus returns. I'm like, I think that would be amazing. 
God may say to us, no. But you and I, sharing the gospel, may give somebody else the great privilege of seeing Jesus in his glory and looking to him as savior and not judge because of us sharing the gospel and the way that God works that out for generations to come. Friend, we want to embrace, stand in awe of the privilege we've received in Jesus Christ, and then look to share that privilege with others that they too might know Jesus Christ by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great blessing of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. If any are here who have heard of the name Jesus and have sat through sermons or have heard lessons about him but don't know him as Lord and Savior, we pray that you would open eyes and open ears. Fill us with gratitude and give us a a passion, a zeal to share this good news with others. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.